everybody. Welcome to the service tonight. Now, I know you probably came expecting me to be preaching tonight, but nope, you're, you're going to have to settle for Devin. <laughs> I'm just kidding, brother. Uh, there is something I just need to tell you. They asked me if I would uh, lead songs last week, and I told them one condition, as long as I can pick my own songs. I'm not a musician. I never had, well, I can't t say that. At least one time I was, but uh, um, so I'm going to use the songbook tonight. Everybody remember what these are? <laughs> anyway, let's turn to 592. 592. Page 390, page 390, this is, uh, you know what, this is just one of those fundamental songs that's probably pretty hard to sing while we're sitting, so why don't we stay in together 
and sing uh, Love Lifted Me. may be seated. Now we're going to sing 333 and this one, is it going to be up here? Look at that. Now I don't know if I can even look up there. Okay. 333. It's just like his great love. Let's sing it. A friend I have called Jesus
this third verse, but Brother Darren, a few, I don't know, probably a month ago, was singing or leading the music to uh, How Great Thou Art. And remember he told us about leaving out that third verse and everything, so we better sing it just in case he's watching. He might be in that truck and watching, huh? Oh, hey, guess what? I'm blaming this one on you guys. No. <laughs> Who's back there? JD. See JD. Okay. Let's sing verse four together. Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna um, we're gonna divide up into groups at the end of the uh, lesson here. But any major prayer requests that we have currently, um, one that I know of is Diana Hazelwood has pneumonia, so keep her in prayer. I think this has been an ongoing issue, or she's had it in the past, correct? Yeah, but it's, for some reason she's got it, but her oxygen levels kind of lower. Okay, okay, okay. So pray for Diana Hazelwood. And uh, Miss Judy wasn't here today because her brother Larry is having some back issues, so keep uh, Larry in prayers. But any other major requests uh, before we start here this evening? Anything at all? Yes, Scott. Okay. So if you didn't hear that, uh, Scott's brother and sister having trouble seeing in one eye. Uh, each of them are, are struggling with that, so pray for, uh, for healing and for wisdom for the doctors on that. Anything else? Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> brother Kavoka. <laughs> okay. Okay. Excellent. Yes. So pray for Bruce. He uh, was uh, offered and has accepted a job, and it's going to take two weeks to get started. So uh, pray for Bruce Klingerman as he transitions to that. Okay. 
Okay, remember these prayer requests as you uh, divide up in small groups at the end. Anything else I'm missing before we get started? Yes, Becca. Okay. Becca Miley has a job interview. Anything else? Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come together as believers. We thank you for the freedom uh, that we can find uh, in our country, Lord. We thank you for your word, and I pray that uh, you would help me as I teach this evening, Lord. I pray that uh, what is said will be directly from your word and uh, not from Devin. I pray that uh, this would be uh, edifying and beneficial for our souls and for our hearts, and this would draw us closer to you. Think of those who are struggling in our church, who are uh, dealing with physical issues and uh, grieving or, or struggling, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, comfort them and use us to comfort them. And uh, we thank you for your grace to us and your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see on the, uh, the slide, the, the topic of tonight's study is going to be rest for your soul. And just so you know, I am not pastor. Uh, I don't know if you came here to see pastor. I'm sorry, you've got to be disappointed. Uh, I, I will warn you, if you ever get a call from Pastor Ray, you might want to let it go to voicemail first. And the reason why is he might ask you to preach and you're not expecting it. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm always grateful to, to open God's Word. I was uh, taught in Bible college that if anyone ever asks you to teach or preach the Word of God, you say yes, and the Lord will give you a message. So I'm trusting the Lord that this would be a blessing. Uh, it's certainly been a blessing to my heart, and I, I trust that it would be a blessing to you. So, so uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And we'll be reading from verse 25. Just before this, Jesus is rebuking unrepentant cities uh, he's been questioned by, uh, by John's disciples, so he's been questioned by John's disciples, and he's rebuking cities who have uh, ignored the gospel and ignored uh, his message. And we pick up at verse 25, uh, Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Aren't you grateful you don't have to be a, a doctor or a scholar to be able to enjoy the love of Jesus and to enjoy a relationship with God? In fact, what he says is he reveals it unto the babes, those who have a, a simple understanding of the love of God, and that's who it's revealed to. Uh, keep reading verse 26. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that a comforting thought right there? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. I don't know about you, but that phrase just kind of warms my heart. Uh, our, the, Christian, uh, the Christian doctrine and belief is not just about emotions, but God has given us emotions, right? And that, that phrase just 
fills my, my heart with warmth, uh, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And uh, that is uh, Jesus' exhortation to us. So I want to talk a little bit about rest. Some of you are planning to find rest this evening, and I'd ask you to wait at least an hour, okay? <laughs> but uh, there, rest, a tale of two worldly views. There's a, there's a, a few different views about rest, and uh, I want to talk about them. So uh, nobody this morning got this, and I don't know if I'm just out of touch with a certain generation, so, uh, but the, the, finish, the, finish the blank, uh, finish the sentence. Sleep is for the, what was that? <laughs> sleep is for the dead. Uh, the phrase I've always heard that as is, sleep is for the weak. And the idea is, work, 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 work. I'm not, I'm not worrying about sleep. I'm not worrying about rest. I'm just going to work hard and, uh, and just push myself, and uh, sleep is for the weak. Sleep is for the dead. The other side is a, uh, an opposite view, and that's rest is the goal. Uh, you see, see uh, pictures or videos of uh, advertising companies of people on vacation. That's the goal. They, uh, rest and relaxation, living in luxury. The goal is to just uh, chill out on a beach with coconut trees and lemonade and just listen to the waves roll in and get your feet in, in the sand. And that is the goal, right? That's the goal. I just want to, to chill, to relax, and to, to hang out. Uh, neither of those are correct, and we have God's view and His uh, in the creation. So let's read that in Genesis chapter two. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He hath made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He hath made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in He had rested from all His work which God hath created and made. So rest in and of itself is not sinful, correct? Because God created it. So rest is not a bad thing. Rest is not something that we should view as automatically sinful. There is a sinful type of rest, and that is laziness, uh, but rest in and of itself is necessary. Have you ever tried going past 18 hours without sleeping, past 24 hours, past 32 hours? It gets harder and harder. So, uh, so God made rest because we need uh, rest. So before we, uh, before we move on to, uh, to this slide, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this passage. I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but in all the Gospels, in all the accounts of uh, Scripture, there's one time where Jesus speaks and shares about his heart, what his heart is. And in the scripture, the heart is not simply what, uh, the heart is, is a driving factor. It's not just the emotional side of things, right? It's not just, I love somebody. It's the animating uh, part of a person that what is in your heart gets you up in the morning, right? It drives you. It's what's most natural to you. If you've ever seen an animal with an instinct, uh, for example, uh, geese, when it gets cold, they fly south, right? When it gets warm, they fly north. And that's their instinct. Well, that's what the heart is. That's what the heart is, is what's most natural. What, is, what comes out most freely? freely. And so in this passage, 
Jesus talks about his heart. And here's what he says. If you look in verse, uh, verse 29, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He doesn't say righteous and holy. He doesn't say generous and giving. He doesn't say strong and mighty. When Jesus talks about his own heart, what he says is, I am meek and lowly in heart. What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful picture of our Savior that he is meek and lowly in heart. So I want to talk about, uh, we'll, we'll continue that conversation a little bit later, but I want to talk about a restless soul. And that's, that's the, the topic of the lesson today is finding rest in Jesus, finding rest for our souls. And uh, in Revelation uh, 21.4, uh, this account talks about some things that would cause a restless soul and uh, I want to I want to parallel them to uh, what weary souls could be caused by. So let's read Revelation 21:4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Isn't that another comforting thought? In in the presence of God, there will be no more tears, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Isn't that exciting to think about all, all the the grief and pain that will be taken away? All those things that are described are what would cause a restless soul. Maybe, maybe today you feel as though you might have a restless or a weary soul. And uh, just thinking about it, in the past three years, the amount of people that our church has lost. If you think about it in the past three years, it, it's a longer list than you might think. Remember Bud Wood? Didn't he just have a gracious spirit and he'd go around the church? I should not start naming names, but remember Bill Sloan? Um, remember uh, those who we have lost? And, and even recently with uh, Pastor Andrew, he's not dead, but he's gone. And, <laughs> and our church has been through a lot the last three years, if, if you think about it. There, there are some things that might make your soul weary if you, if you dwell on them. And I want to talk about the three things that might cause sorrow or tears. And uh, the first one is sin. Have you ever been affected by sin? And the negative side of that that might cause tears or a weary soul? You yourself, have you gone into a sin that uh, just hurts your soul? That... Uh, caused struggle in your life and caused weariness and pain? Or maybe think about being on the receiving end of that, somebody else's sin that has caused hurt in your life, somebody's backstabbing, somebody's uh, discussion of you, somebody not coming through on a promise, somebody saying something and doing the opposite. Sin will cause a weary soul. But not just sin... Sickness. Think about that. Our church has had a lot of sickness the last uh, few years as well. Sickness. Aren't you sometimes uh, troubled when you hear how many people are sick or struggling physically? Uh, every, every Wednesday night prayer service, we hear about more people who are struggling physically. And 
I'm thankful, Revelation 21.4, the tears will be wiped away because there will, will no, be no more sickness. The last one, separation. And this is, we just talked about this a little bit, but um, I don't believe in heaven there will be goodbyes because the separation that we face now, whether it's departure to another location or eternal departure, saying goodbye to somebody, um, that, can, that can bring weariness on your soul, is, is saying goodbye to, to somebody. And I'm grateful that we can look forward to, to that. But we live in a sin-cursed world, and we live in flesh, and we live with temptations and struggles and all these things that, that battle with our souls. I, uh, Jen and I closed on our uh, house, uh, I guess it was last month, and we ended up talking a little bit to a uh, gentleman who's the brother-in-law of the, the woman who sold us the home. And we were just chit-chatting a little bit, and he was uh, talking about the area. And he said, well, let me, let me, share, you a, let me share you something. There's a gentleman that uh, lived near where you live that lived to be 96 years old. And I said, wow, that must, that must have been incredible, like being able to live across so many life events. That must have been an incredible life. And he said, well, actually, no. At the very end of his life, he was very sad and depressed because he had outlived all of his family and his kids. Can you imagine outliving? I can't imagine as, as a dad, I can't imagine the thought of outliving my daughter. That would, that would be very difficult to, for me to go through. And this man lived long enough to experience that and then experience all those difficulties, all those struggles to the point where he was very sad at the end of his life because of all the people that he had lost that, that were very important to him. And so we live in a world that will cause restlessness for our souls. So uh, here, here are some questions that we can ask to, to determine if we maybe perhaps should seek Jesus and find rest in Jesus and if we can find rest in Jesus. So uh, this is an easy one. <laughs> are you a sinner? <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's a, pretty, that's a pretty easy answer. We talked about that. We talked about the effects of sin and, and how that can, can hurt our lives and, and cause pain in our lives. Are you a sinner? Are you trying to earn your way to God's grace? Now, we might not say this out loud, but isn't that how we work sometimes? Even as Christians, we know what's right, but Lord, I really want this. Will you do this for me if I do this? Those types of things we, we can have in our lives. Are you trying to be someone or something that God hasn't called you to be? On the flip side, are you avoiding being who God has called you to be? Are you overwhelmed with the difficulties of life? Are you trying to control your life? I don't know about you, but I've done that. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> has anybody else tried to control your life? <laughs> it works for so long. <laughs> And then it doesn't work at all. Are you grieving? Are you searching for purpose? Are you overwhelmed with the failures of others? Are you struggling with anger, fear, hopelessness, or discouragement? Well, can I introduce you to a Savior that I hope you already know? 
and that's Jesus. So these are the, those are the questions to ask. So I want to talk a little bit about Jesus. Uh, I want to I talk about uh, this, this specific uh, passage because Jesus gives a promise here. And I will give you rest. And he mentions rest twice. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. In verse 29, he gives uh, a promise. But there is a prerequisite to that promise. And that prerequisite is, don't make this hard class, come unto me. Come unto me. It's very simple, but we must come to Jesus. And sometimes, though that is very simple, sometimes that can be prevented simply by our own pride, our own selfishness. Uh, This is a big one for today's generation. Distractions. Our phones constantly beeping and and, uh, distracting us from uh, what is important and from going to, uh, to Christ. So the prerequisite, the prerequisite is we must come. We must come unto Jesus. And then the people, it talks about the people. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. Maybe you can look at that verse and say, I identify with that. I can feel that. Sometimes I feel that I am very heavy laden. And we find the heart of Jesus, meek and lowly. We talked about that, that uh, Jesus is meek and lowly. Uh, if you look at, uh, I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. There's a, a parallel section of scripture that talks about what that looks like, what Jesus' meek and lowliness uh, looks like played out. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this is a, a common uh, passage of scripture that you should know, but let nothing to be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every, every man also on the things of other. Why? Who's our, who's our example to do this from, to, to copy and to, to do this from? And verse 5, we have the answer. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is our Savior. He, in his state, perfectly perfect fellowship with God the Father, said, I'll go. I'll be willing to go. I'll be willing to humble myself because he is meek and lowly in heart. That's the, that's the Jesus that we serve. He's humble, he's meek, and he's lowly. And then the promise, I will give you rest, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. See, it's, it's really very simple, but it's complicated by flesh and sinfulness. But if we come unto Jesus, this message is not for those who are not willing to come. If you've put up a brick wall between you and Jesus, this message is not for you. This is for those who will come to Jesus and, and seek him. So I want to ask a, a question uh, about this, this passage of Scripture. As, as we've read through it a couple times, as we've looked at the verses, this is where we could get some class, some class participation. How could you use this to share the gospel? How could you use this specific section of, of Scripture to share the gospel? 
if we as believers might find ourselves laboring and heavy laden and having restless souls? You think that maybe the world might find themselves laboring and laboring heavy and having restless souls and being heavy laden by the burdens of life? I, I really think that this is a perfect opportunity, a perfect passage of Scripture to share Jesus with others with. And I, I, want to, I want to say very clearly, I do not believe there's anything wrong. In fact, you should share the gospel with people and ask the question, are you sure that if you die today, you know you're on your way to heaven? But can I remind you that salvation doesn't just happen and then there's no other benefit of being a Christian until you die and then you're in heaven with Jesus, right? If that is the Christian life, then we're missing something, right? During that period of time after we're saved or even the entrance of us into the kingdom of heaven, we find Jesus calling unto us not so that we would have confidence when we die. That's part of it, yes. But that we would find rest in him on earth while we're living as Christians, right? And so what a beautiful recognition. Uh, What a beautiful statement. I will give you rest, rest for your souls. I think of this similarly to the account of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Remember, he, he, uh, he says, we must needs go through Samaria. And he meets this woman at the well, and she's getting water. And I'm paraphrasing, but uh, she, uh, he says to her, well, if you knew what, what water I give, I give ever, water that will give you everlasting life. You'll find everlasting life through me. And I think this is very similar to that, in that this isn't just a rest for our bodies. This is a rest for our souls. Sin causes weariness of soul. Struggling causes weariness of soul. But Jesus can give us rest that we cannot find on a pillow or in a church pew or anywhere else. We can find rest uh, that is much greater in Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about who Jesus is. I'm going to borrow Dave Young's uh, Dave Young's uh, sermon setup. He remember when, when he was preaching the revival meetings, he said we got to find out who God is and then what we ought to do, right? Find out who God is and then what we ought to do. So let's find out who Jesus is. Let's find out about our Savior. Well, that's the first one. Uh, John 4:42. Our Jesus is a Savior. Is he your Savior? I hope so. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is Christ, the Savior of the world. Our Jesus is a Savior, but he's also a friend. uh, From the account of those criticizing Jesus, here's what they had to say about Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. I'm grateful for that passage because I find myself in that category. I am a sinner. (laughs) I'm thankful that Jesus is a friend of publicans and sinners, and I'm thankful that he didn't correct them and say, no, I'm not, because he is. He comes to those who need him. He's an advocate 
1 John 2, 1. Our advocate with the Father. Uh, this morning, uh, a gentleman came up to me and, and asked the question, well, why would we need an advocate? When do you need an advocate in your life? When do you need a lawyer? When you're going to be facing the judge. And um, actually, I had the note from uh, him the, in Psalm, Psalm 50, verse 6, for God is judge himself. And we have an advocate in Jesus. And the beautiful thing about that is, this is so amazing. This is, this, is, this is how our Savior works. Not only is he our advocate, he's representing us to God the Father as an advocate. And not only is he representing us, he's saying, there is guilt. There is guilt. There was wrong done. There is guilt. But... It's not on him, it's on me. My blood paid for Devin's sin. My blood paid for Devin's actions. Remember God the Father on the cross when I died for Devin? That's the Savior that we have. And something even more beautiful to think about is that he's not just our advocate as a stranger to God the Father, he is at one with God the Father. He's representing me. He's representing us. But he has a close relationship with the judge. And he has a close relationship with God the Father saying, remember, it's not Devin. Devin sinned, but I took the payment. It was my blood that was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, Right? So he's our advocate, and that's something that he's constantly doing. I think sometimes we, we think that most of what was done by Jesus was done in the Gospels. And that's true, there is a lot done in the Gospels. The cross is in the Gospels. Jesus came to earth as a baby. You want to talk about meek and lowly? You can't get meeker and lowlier than that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making up words with that, but... Uh, he came, he lived a sinless, perfect life. He died on the cross, and then his astonishing resurrection, right? And yet today, he's doing work right now as well. He's advocating for us. And then in, uh, the next one is he's an intercessor on our behalf, for Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus' work was done on the cross, but it was not done for the Christian life. When he said it is finished, he was talking about the saving work, the restoration between sinners and God, but he is still working on our behalf. He's, here's a comforting thought. If no one else on this earth is praying for you, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? What a Savior. He's able to sympathize with us. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus went through puberty. Jesus went through pain. Jesus lost a friend. Jesus wept. Jesus was tempted 
And uh, something that was brought up to me in, in the book that I'm uh, using as part of this study is sometimes we might, we might think that, well, Jesus was tempted, but he never faced the te- kind of temptations I face because I, I've fallen to these temptations. I, he, he was only able to, to taste a certain amount of them. But if you think about it, th- think about yourself, think about somebody who is hiking in a very, very, on a very, very windy mountain. The wind is blowing 60, 70 miles an hour. You and me caving to that temptation, crouching down and trying to avoid the wind any further would never get to experience it turning into 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. Jesus was able to go through all those temptations and he never sinned. And he can sympathize with the temptations that we've dealt with even better than we can because of that. And that's our Savior, able to sympathize. He knows our struggles. He lived on earth. He lost friends. He was backstabbed. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And he is able to sympathize with us as believers when we have our struggles and our infirmities and our burdens. He's part of our body, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and all things he might have the preeminence. He's part of us. If we're struggling, he feels that because he is part of our body. Joyful when we come unto him, Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. What is the joy that was set before him? Restoration of lost souls reuniting the gap between sinners and God that could only be done through a spotless lamb, and that is Jesus. So that's who Jesus is. That is our Savior. What an incredible, beautiful Savior that we have. In John Bunyan's book, Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, he talks about a conversation. This is a hypothetical conversation, but I want us to walk through this because Maybe you find yourself in one of these phrases. So this is a conversation between us and, and, and Jesus. But I'm a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backslidden sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light. I have sinned against mercy. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring unto you, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. He goes on to... uh, to, this is the verse that, that he is uh, discussing in this. So John six thirty seven. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. We tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally go tr- grow tired of us and hold us at an arm's length. That's how the, the Judaic law worked, right? When 
unclean came in contact with clean, what happened? Both were unclean, right? Jesus is reversing that scenario when the unclean come in contact with the clean, Jesus, the unclean becomes clean. He's reversing the Judaic law through that. And we think that God is going to hold us at an arm's length, and uh, he knows that we tend to deflect, deflect Christ's assurances. So we'll continue the, the conversation. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I have really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know, most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it's not just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I could break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's just too much to bear not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're directed against you. Then I am the most suited person to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is the Savior that you can go to for rest. So let's talk about this rest for our souls. What is this rest for our souls? Well, I think Psalm 42 depicts it very well. And uh, in this psalm, this is, a, this is the, the start of a very well-known hymn. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul for thee, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, and with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast, cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my, so, oh my God, my soul is cast down before me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. And it, it goes on to say, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. This is a picture of somebody going to God for rest for their souls. Rest for their souls. I, I think a, a good way to view rest for your soul is safety. The, the shelter, the peace aspect, coming in from stormy weather into the shelter that can be found in Jesus. In Psalm 3, I'm going to turn to Psalm 3 and uh, go through it. Psalm 3 is David fleeing from Absalom. And, let's see, Psalm th yes, uh, Psalm 3 is David f uh, fleeing from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. 
that is someone seeking after rest that can be found in God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So we talked about who God is. Now we're going to talk about what we ought to do, what we must do. Well, we talked about this. This is very simple. Come unto me. And not just in salvation. This is something that we talk about when we're talking about salvation. Don't try to fix your life before you come to Christ, right? Well, I think the same thing applies to us when we're coming to, to Jesus to give us rest for our souls. Don't try to fix your problems so you can go to Jesus. Go to Jesus, and he will take care of your problems. Go to Jesus. Come unto me, he says. Clear the air. There is likely, if you're human, which everyone I see here is, <laughs> if you're human, there is very possibly a section of your life, a tiny tucked away, hidden, buried, covered up part of your life that you are aware of and have tried to bury uh, an aspect of sin, something uh, of waywardness, a besetting sin that you keep uh, struggling with, something that the Holy Spirit has brought to your attention. Would you bring that to Jesus? Would you bring that to your, to your Savior and just simply share your struggle with him, share your burden, go unto him and ask for help, and he will give it to you. Cast your care. I think of, when I, when I think of this phrase, cast your care on him for he careth for you. I think of uh, the picture that comes to my mind is somebody hiking with a heavy backpack, a 90, 100-pound backpack that has been filled. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is, a, is a, a book that comes to mind when I think of this. And cast your care. What burdens have you been carrying that you do not need to carry? What burdens could you take off of your own back and simply say, I can't carry this anymore, but I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting your strength. Would you cast your care on Jesus? Would you cast your care to God for your burdens? Oh, this is a big one. Yield your control. Who likes being in control of their life here? Anybody else? <laughs> I can raise both hands uh, as testimony for that. Uh, we love to control our lives, don't we? I'm going to share. Um, so the the house that we just just uh, moved into, uh, the house that we just moved into down in Hope, we put an offer in this house on Thursday. Take your mind back two months. We put the, an offer on this house on Thursday. On Friday, our offer was accepted. The problem was we hadn't uh, had our house ready to list at all. And in today's market, that's not necessarily the, the best scenario. So we're getting the house ready. I'm working on projects that I've pushed off for the last four years, my poor wife. And we're, uh, we're finally ready on Wednesday to have the house listed. The house goes live Wednesday evening. Thursday fills up with showings. And uh, Thursday morning, we get an investor offer, absolutely horrible offer that would have not been wise to take. And six showings, nobody puts an offer. We don't get any feedback, even that anybody might be even interested. And then Thursday night, our realtor calls and says, uh, hey, the house that you put an offer on that was accepted on the contingency that you got your house under contract they've received another offer. 
and it is significantly higher than yours. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so they, they gave us 48 hours to get an offer on our house, to get our house under contract where they were going to move forward with the other buyers. And so Jen and I are looking at each other, and we just start praying. And we look at each other, and we're praying, and we say, Lord, this is what we want. This is what we want, and, uh, but, but your will. And this is what we really want, Lord. We really want this, but we're going to trust you. And so Friday rolls around, no offer, some showings, no offer. Saturday rolls around, we have a, an open house at our house, and lots of people show up. No offer for the open house. No offer from the open house. It's now Saturday afternoon. We have till 5 p.m. on Saturday, and at this point in my my life, I have never gotten so close to this desperation of I have no idea. I can't control this. There's nothing I can do to change my situation right now. There is nothing I can do, and we just prayed, and. 30 minutes, <laughs> 30 minutes before the deadline, we got an offer at asking price, and we're, I'm actually filming a wedding at the time, and I get the text from Jen, and I just start crying, because uh, I, we've pictured our lives for the next 30 years, we're like uh, picturing Addie and uh, the next baby playing in the yard, and inviting people over, like we have, we have the next $50,000 worth of renovations possibly uh, done in our minds. Uh, on this house, and so we, we have all these plans that we're, we're, we're working up in our minds, but there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that we can do about that, and, and God answered our prayers in, a, in an amazing way. I'm filming this, filming this wedding, and I just start crying, and it's not because you guys are lovey-dovey and, and beautiful together, but <laughs> that is true, but hey, my life has changed, so, <laughs> but um, we are not in control, and any of those things that would cause us to have tears are, are evidence of that. We would not choose for somebody to be taken away from our life or to, to be diagnosed with some sickness. We would, not, we would not choose that. And we are not in control, but God is, and we can, we can go to our Savior. So, do you have a rested soul? If not, would you go to the Lord and seek rest in Him Here's the result. Here's what a soul-rested believer looks like. A soul-rested believer will serve well. They will work well. They will love well. They will praise well. They will glorify well, edify, study, pray. They will live well. If you know anybody who is an athlete, they master their sleep schedule. They do not budge from their sleep schedule. If it's seven hours, it's seven hours. If it's eight hours, it's eight hours. If it's eight and a half hours, it's eight and a half hours. They have a strict sleep schedule because they understand the importance of rest. And rested souls, people who are trusting and resting in Jesus, can minister in a capacity that is not accomplishable by people who are weary and struggling and not turning to their Savior for their strength. And so, would you do that? Would you seek Jesus for your rest? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are a, a Savior who is gentle, who is lowly. I thank you for your continuing work that you do for us. 
And I just pray that we would rest in you, that that would be our, our reaction with the woes and difficulties of life, is that we would just be drawn to you and seek you and uh, love you so that we can serve others at a greater capacity, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You are uh, dismissed to break up into small groups and uh, have a good evening.